Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about the Biden Bernie snoozer, Congress's Corona pork, the coronavirus and American freedom, and does the day of prayer matter? And I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. Hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Well, last night I did something I haven't done so far in this entire election cycle. I sat through the Democrat debate live. I actually watched it. It was down to two people, as you well know. Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders were up there debating without an audience because of the coronavirus issue. They were debating in a pretty much empty room, but obviously nationally televised. And I thought about grabbing a bunch of clips and little misstatements and misspeaks because they had, for example, Bernie Sanders went through a long litany when he was referring to the coronavirus, but he called it Ebola. And Joe Biden went through various times where he was also mistaking the name of the virus that we're now dealing with in America. But instead of playing those clips, I want to share some thoughts. And I think these are actually really important thoughts about the idea of what these people stand for, what they believe in about America, and what they are proposing to do to America. But let me start. The debate for, I don't know, at least the first half went on and on about the coronavirus. All sorts of arguments about who's doing what right and, and what should be done and what if you were president. And so both of them, predictably, both Biden and Bernie, we're taking shots at President Trump and referring to his administration in a demeaning manner and how he's doing everything wrong. But when you stopped and listened to what they had to say, they're advocating and proposing things that pretty much are already happening and have been already happening. There were no novel ideas. Not that there, I don't even know if there are that many novel ideas. There were no truly novel ideas no, yeah, I'd take a different tact. No iota of grace or clarity or honesty about the fact of how well the Trump administration is handling this crisis. They could not bring themselves, they didn't have the moral fiber, either one of them, to say the administration is doing a lot of things well. I think I would try this. I might oppose this. They just cannot help themselves in taking shots at the Trump administration, regardless of the fact of the, that many things the Trump administration is doing to deal with the coronavirus are actually exactly what should be done, have proved in hindsight to have been better decisions than they were recognized to be at the time. Joe Biden tried to take shots at the idea that Bernie Sanders is saying, you know, this coronavirus, this is proof. We need uh, social, socialized medicine or as Bernie Sanders tried to characterize it to soften it, he calls it Medicare for all. It's just government controlled health care. It's socialized medicine. And so he, Bernie Sanders, is using this coronavirus to say, this is why we need socialized medicine. And helpfully to the conservative cause, Joe Biden pointed out, 
actually they have socialized medicine in Italy and the coronavirus is a disaster there. It's not helping anything. The other bigger difference between the two of them was that Joe Biden was trying to say, essentially, this is not a time in America to be talking about a radical transformation. It's not time to be talking about a revolution. It's time to deal with the issues at hand. He did, Joe Biden, do a better job than he has in many recent speeches. He was more, uh, apparently more well-rested. He didn't stumble as much as he often does. He didn't say anything too terribly off base. And he was trying to convey the image I'm a leader, I'm actually an experienced leader, I've been vice president, I know how I would handle this. So he, Biden, was trying to say about Bernie Sanders, you know, you're off talking about radically changing this country, revolution. This is not the time for revolution. So that was maybe one distinction between them. But let me narrow down and tell you what the, the, the I think the most important takeaways are from the entire night. Neither of these men could give credit to all the good that is happening in this country under the Trump administration inhaling the coronavirus. Neither of these men had anything like the humility needed to say, you know, we all need to recognize the goodness of the American people, the strength of the American people. We love how the corporations and businesses are stepping up. All sorts of cooperation between the government and businesses working together, trying to work on faster production of test kits, trying to work on faster production of a vaccine, trying to work together on ways we can coordinate care for those in need. Neither of those people, Biden or Bernie, could spend a moment during that debate actually giving credit to the goodness of the American people, the goodness of the freedom of our system that has that has so far been worked, worked in this coronavirus uh, in ways that protecting Americans more so than other countries. And at the bottom of it, neither of these men had anything like the humility to acknowledge that perhaps America would be blessed and, and be uh, taken care of, would be helped by turning to prayer. I'm going to come in the last segment of the show today and talk more about President Trump's National Day of Prayer declared for yesterday, Sunday. I'm going to talk about what he said and the reaction of the American people. But when you watch Bernie and Biden, all you can see from them is a political party, the radical left Democrat party that thinks all answers abide in the hands of the chosen ruling class. All answers come from government. No possibility that it matters in the slightest whether we are able in this country and willing and, and that we want to turn to prayer for help for this country. Nothing like that. Also a major, major thing to keep in mind is that here we are on the Democrat side, we're down to two candidates. It's going to be Joe Biden or Bernie Sanders, who's going to be their nominee. Now, actually, let me put a footnote there. I don't think either one of those two will actually be the nominee. I think Biden will have the most votes at the Democrat convention, and I think the Democrat Party will take him out and put somebody else in because they're worried about the fact that he's becoming senile. But back to the debate last night. Joe Biden one of the alleged mainstream Democrats never spent one moment saying, you know, America, we're not socialists. Bernie Sanders over here, my opponent, he's a socialist. 
I, Joe Biden, I'm really, I believe in America. I believe in free markets. I believe in the freedom of the founding of America. I believe in those ideas. I will hold to those ideas. I will stand up for those ideas. Joe Biden, whether he's ever described himself as a socialist or not, did not have the backbone to say what Bernie Sanders is proposing will destroy this country. He couldn't say it. And he couldn't say it because he recognizes he has to try to bring along the Bernie Sanders supporters who have begun saying, no way on Biden. Bernie Sanders supporters are out there in numbers on, in social media, especially on Twitter, saying that if that if Bernie Sanders does not get the nomination, they, all the, the Bernie Sanders supporters, are going to stay home or find someone else to vote for. So Biden had a choice going to last night to try to entice the, to try to stand up and stand for America and say, this is who I am. I'm Joe Biden. I'm a mainstream Democrat. We're not socialist. Our party's not socialist. But he couldn't do that because he was afraid of alienating all the Bernie voters who are only on board for Bernie. At the end of the day, what you saw was two angry, critical men, critical of America, critical of the American people, critical of our system, two angry men with no proposals, no new ideas, no solutions at all. What you had was two angry and you would think atheistic men running for the U.S. presidency on the Democrat side who never in all in the middle of this alleged most serious crisis we've ever faced, faced to even mention the idea of faith. I'll close out the first five today by playing, this was a commercial. This actually played during the Democrat debate last night. This is a commercial from the Freedom From Religion Foundation. We're gonna talk about it after it plays, but I'm gonna ask Matt the Wonderful to play this commercial that played during the Democrat debate last night. Hi, I'm Ron Reagan, an unabashed atheist, and I'm alarmed by the intrusions of religion into our secular government. That's why I'm asking you to support the Freedom From Religion Foundation, the nation's largest and most effective association of atheists and agnostics, working to keep state and church separate, just like our founding fathers intended. Please support the Freedom From Religion Foundation. Ron Reagan, lifelong atheist, not afraid of burning in hell. Okay, I have to tell you folks, I had a friend um, who put that advertisement that you just saw, that actually played during the Democrat debate last night. She put that ad up on Facebook with a comment. When I first saw this, I thought it was an advertisement for Saturday Night Live. I thought it was a joke. I can't believe it was serious. But I want you to think about that. Think about where we are in 2020, what we face in the 2020 election cycle. We have the Republican Party, the presidency, Donald Trump with holding the presidency, asking the nation for a day of prayer, along with the many other steps that he is taking, his administration is taking, to address the coronavirus problem. And you have the American left with the debate you saw last night where everyone is speaking somber tones. Oh my gosh, this is, this is you know terrible. We're, we're facing a pandemic. What, do you, what would you do? And uh, all they could do, all those two clowns up there could do, Biden and Bernie, was criticize America, criticized the president, couldn't give any, any grace of saying, wow, he's done some things really well. These are going well. This is going well. This was a good decision. Can't do anything like that. 
and of all the entities that would choose to advertise during the Democrat presidential debate, when we're down to the down to the two of them, it's going to be one of them winning the nomination. That organization, the Freedom from Religion Foundation, chose to advertise during that debate. And I'll tell you, I have a little bit of familiarity with that organization because I also sometimes co-host or host on another show that is on Christian radio and Christian, yeah, Christian radio. And that organization, Freedom from Religion, spends its time getting donations from members to file lawsuits to challenge Christian Americans to fight against any acknowledgement of God in the public square in America, any acknowledgement or any right of individuals in this country to live out their faith in their life, not simply to attend the church or synagogue they choose, but to live out their faith, that organization fights Christianity. It fights God. It doesn't just say, hey, you want to get comfortable here with other fellow atheists, agnostics, come join us and we'll commiserate how much we hate God and hate the scriptures. It's not that. It is an absolutely hateful, antagonistic, aggressive organization designed to crush Christianity in America. And that group found it wise in spending their, their advertising dollars to advertise during the Democrat national debate. That tells you something about where the Democrat party in this country lives today. And that, my friends, is today's first five. Well, it seems like we can't go through a show without talking about Corona a little bit, and probably a lot bit, but I did want to mention, uh, actually, I do want to mention something else about Biden. You know, Joe Biden has, one of the things he, they asked him last night during the debate is, you know, what would you do differently? What would you do if you'd been present and the coronavirus came along? And of all the impossibly idiotic answers, he said, well, I would sit down just like Barack and I did in other crises during the time I was his vice president. I would sit down with some experts in the room and we would talk about how to solve the problem. I would know, I, Joe Biden, I would know that you have to ask experts, as though no one ever thought of this idea. I mean, impossibly idiotic, but that was the lead-off answer he gave. I would sit down with people in a room and talk about how we're going to solve this. I would have experts. I'd bring in experts from other countries. I would get the best advice and I'd move on it, as though the Trump administration doesn't have a team of experts, which it does, as though the experts aren't running the policy, which they are. I mean, the whole thing was so idiotic, but that was his first answer. Second, I want to mention about Joe Biden and this coronavirus thing. He's come out with a piece, a, a campaign piece Joe Biden has describing his coronavirus plan, what he would do to move forward to fight the coronavirus. Unfortunately, for those who pay attention, you understand that all Joe Biden's plan consists of is taking the Trump plan in place and putting it in his own words, kind of like plagiarizing. You know the idea when, in fact, that was Biden. Biden dropped out of the presidential run, forget what year it was, 2008, I don't know when it was, long time ago, he had to drop out of a presidential run because, after all, he was caught plagiarizing. Yet again, let me just tell you some of the similarities of the very novel Biden plan compared with what President Trump is already doing. First of all, to be clear in the way the comments went last night in the debate, President Biden, Vice President Biden, spent most of his time leveling political attacks against the president 
working people up into a fever frenzy of fear seems to be the mission of the left in this country a fever frenzy of fear okay so here are his proposals he says he would plan he would uh, plan calls for um no efforts to be spared in getting private laboratories and universities to help test for the virus wow who would have thought of that oh President Trump, he thought of that. The suggestion mirrors a move the Trump administration took in February. We're on March 15th now, but in February, Trump administration already did this, but somehow Biden thought it was important enough to say, I have a novel plan, I'm gonna fix everything. Same thing Trump is doing. Similarly, his plan calls for a federal, federal relief effort for small businesses negatively impacted by the pandemic, similar to an idea that Trump, uh, uh, himself proposed on Wednesday while addressing the nation in prime time, doing the same thing. Next thing, other, other ideas in the Biden plan that came from the Trump plan. Now, I'm not saying Biden th didn't think of these himself. I'm saying that his effort to puff his chest up last night during that debate and act like he somehow out of all the answers, put the grown-ups in charge, look at me, I'm a grown-up. All he's doing is come up with ideas. He's criticizing Trump. While he's taking Trump's ideas, putting his plan, saying, see how much better my plan is. Uh, next idea. He also, he, Joe Biden, talked about proposed revising existing laws and regulations to ensure that insurance companies waive co-pays and deductibles for coronavirus testing and any eventual vaccine. Same thing that Trump announced on Wednesday of last week. And speaking of stealing the other guy's ideas, the other thing Biden did... <laughs> Three hours before the debate began last night, when he, you understand the dynamics of last night, it's down to Biden or Bernie to be the Democrat nominee for president. Biden knows he's got the radical left, he's got the socialist slash communist, Bernie Sanders. He's got Elizabeth Warren, who's just like Bernie Sanders, except slightly more sane in how she presents herself. And they propose things that many young people, millennials, are falling for, thinking that somehow socialism has a magic wand to make things that cost money free. So, three hours before the debate began, Biden made an announcement he had suddenly discovered and he was on board with free college. Where have we heard that before? Oh, that would be Bernie Sanders. That would be Elizabeth Warren. Now, we had some excuse during the debate last night saying, well, you know, I, I didn't have time. I was so busy up until now. I didn't have time to have my people sit down with Elizabeth Warren's people and hammer out the policy. But now I, I'm all with it. The guy is not, and I'm going to just, I, I realize this sounds like the pile on Biden day. And if it is, that's fine with me. Joe Biden has not had an original idea an original initiative, a, an example of leadership in his life, in his life. He's in the Senate because he comes from a tiny little state where, you know, it is not that many people are in the pool of possible candidates. You get your name out there. You've been in, in, in politics long enough. You get elected to the Senate and you sit in that Senate for, I don't know, it's like a hundred years he's been there or something. Sit in that Senate. Your name is out there. You get ultimately chosen by uh, Barack Obama to be the vice president, not because of your stellar accomplishments or because of your leadership, but because everyone in the whole country will be thinking, thank God Obama is president, not Biden, because Biden is not very bright. And Biden says the same things over and over. He does all of the, he has the gaffe. He's been gaffe prone since he was in politics. Biden has never accomplished anything in his life. 
in his life. He's elected to the Senate from a tiny little state, sat there, not leading anything, and then he ends up, now he wants to be your president. Again, running on having done absolutely nothing. Running on plans other people already put out there. Running on things that he himself is not needed to do because America was already doing them. But on the subject, this is the topic is really on the, the, uh, what Congress is doing. So there's quite a kerfuffle going on in Congress related to trying to deal with the coronavirus. It is important that in Congress and in Washington, the coronavirus be front and center. It's obviously huge. It is an issue in America we have to deal with. So Congress comes together to try to come up with a package, you know, money to help deal with the coronavirus. So you have Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House, uh, got involved in the, obviously she's heavily involved in this process. Um, and tried to stick in things into the, the bill that Congress was going to pass to fund coronavirus rescue efforts. And one Republican used the expression, I believe it was our own Chip Roy from the great state of Texas, Congressman Chip Roy, I believe this was his expression, filled, Pelosi filled the coronavirus bill with Christmas tree ornaments, with things she always wanted to get through. She knows she has the majority of the House. She knows she has the Republicans over a barrel. They've got to get something out. So she, the go-to thing Democrats always do, she sticks in more things she wants that are not relevant to solving coronavirus, not part of the solution, but they are part of the effort to make sure that she can always be telling her constituents that she's sticking up for them. So six, Tex six Texas Republicans, including Chip Roy, uh, including another one from who's around here, Lance Gooden. I was trying to see who the six were. Chip Roy, Lance Gooden, I think uh, Michael McLeod, maybe, um, yeah, Louis Gohmert, of course. Six of them voted against this bill that was to fund coronavirus rescue efforts. The reason they did that is not because they don't care about the coronavirus, is not because they don't think it's serious, it's because they didn't like the fact that Pelosi and her Democrat team came up with a huge bill, mega spending bill. Members of the Congress had a tiny little amount of time, a very short amount of time to look at it and they're basically being told, here it is, vote for it. Kind of like Nancy Pelosi's thing with Obamacare, we'll have to pass it to find out what's in it. Go ahead and vote for it. And then you know, later you see all the amazing things I stuck in there. So at least six Texas Republicans voted no Again, not because they don't want to help with the virus, but because they want to stop this kind of legislating and because the kind of stuff Pelosi was sticking in is very dangerous to our country. It is undermining everything we're trying to do on the Trump agenda and getting our country back on track. So Chip Roy has a great statement out. You can read it on our website, my website, AmericaCanWeTalk.org, on the homepage under shows, drop down, list of links. You can read his objections. He's basically saying you're sticking in a lot of extra spending, irrelevant here, taking advantage of a crisis. And as you know, the Democrats well know, and everyone listening to this show knows, the Democrat mantra of never let a good crisis go to waste, front and center, Nancy Pelosi mind and her actions in this coronavirus bill. I did want to mention on the coronavirus bill that uh, there were orders, there were provisions in the bill that relate to how individual Americans 
are going to have their needs met if they are forced to stay home from work. If you have forced business closures, forced restaurant closures, forced hotel closures, all these places are closing in an effort to stem the growth of the coronavirus. And so the bill is trying to address, you know, how are we going to help those people? And so the Congress put in burdens on individual employers, burdens on individual employers in this country, telling them how they are going to have to fund their own employees' um, absence from work, from, ver from uh, revisions to the uh, Family Medical Leave Act, uh, special provisions requiring employers to pay people. It uh, depends on the size of the employer depends on the, uh, how long the person is out, depends on whether they're out uh, because of a forced closure of the business or they're out because they have contracted coronavirus or because they're on quarantine, they're concerned about coronavirus. Whatever the reason is, the bill has a whole bunch of burdens placed on small employers. One of Chip Roy's major objections was, you're kind of picking and choosing winners and losers here because you're putting burdens on small businesses that, that what they have to pay their employees who cannot come to work because of the virus for any various reasons. So, you know, when you stop and think about what, what the Congress is doing, if you're a business, and especially a small business, you know, 50 or under employees, and you're forced to close by the government because they're concerned about the spread of coronavirus, so you're not making your product or you're not delivering your service, so you're not making income, you're, no one's buying your product, no one's buying your service, so your income comes down, you, the employer, comes down, and Congress says, hey, by the way, now that business is shot to heck and the economy's in the tank, you know what, now you have, you have this additional obligation to pay your employees who are out, whether it's because of the virus, a forced closure, a, a self-imposed quarantine. It is Congress putting a burden on small businesses. And especially when you think about the fact some of those small businesses are closing because Congress said they had to, or because not Congress said, but state legislatures, uh, county, city authorities, various public authorities have forced businesses to close, and Congress is saying, yeah, while you're making no money, here, let's put a little more burden on your business. So right now where it stands, the House passed this bill with some people voting no, including the six Texas Republicans and others, and the bill is uh, set to head over to the Senate. The Senate has agreed they're going to listen to input from small business that the, the uh, lobbyists for small business got in the middle and say hey wait wait a minute before this gets too far down the path you know we get to have a say here our people can't do what you want them to do this is a crazy thing so the senate controlled by the republicans will hopefully have some additional control over and diminishment of the burden on small businesses being imposed by Congress. And, you know, I guess in closing this, this segment, I just say, at number one, there's hardly anything more despicable I can think of. Oh, wait, wait, before I, speaking of despicable. So Pelosi tried to stick in something in this bill intended to deal with a coronavirus crisis that relates to Planned Parenthood abortion funding in the Hyde Amendment. I mean, seriously, this is a woman so driven to do the left's agenda at every turn, even when a crisis, we all agree is a crisis, even when everyone can see it's a problem. Pelosi's plan 
had she gotten away with it, was going to involve changing the rules with respect to funding that would otherwise violate the Hyde Amendment. So, in closing this segment, I want to just say, we have to keep an eye on this, we'll watch what the Senate's going to do, but we are watching in Washington the left stepping up in ways that are very unhealthy, not just burdening businesses to pay things they don't have money to pay, they're not making money on their product or service, but it's also the federal government expanding its nanny state role. It's the federal government saying, hey, by the way, you know, workers, don't worry. You might be out because you're ill, you're taking care of your ill parent or whoever, or you're on quarantine. We're going to nanny state you. We're going to make sure you get money paid by your employer. We're going to make sure your employer is forced to pay you when you're not working. That is not the job of the federal government. It's not the job of the federal government. We, Americans, broadly speaking, we do have a serious challenge facing us. We're going to talk next about the kind of impact on the coronavirus and all the orders coming down versus the spirit of freedom in America. But what we're looking at in Washington on the left is their relentless, never-changing, unrelenting determination to take advantage of a crisis, to impose burdens on businesses. It's like businesses can magically come up with money they don't have, and to instill in the minds of more and more Americans the government is your nanny, government is your daddy, government's going to take care of everything, don't you worry. We need to have more of a sense of America coming together collectively. We also have to have a sense of in America that we're all absorbing the challenges of the coronavirus and we're all going to fight it together. But having these kind of provisions that Democrats were, are pushing, it makes it easier and easier for businesses to close if somehow the federal government is going to make, I'm sorry, it makes it easier for the employees to want businesses to close because they're going to get paid. Look at the nanny state told me, oh, my employer is still going to pay me. This is all just, again, too much entanglement of the private sector in the federal government, private sector employment, federal government stepping in and, and through a bunch of snaky regulations and new rules and ideas, making it harder and harder for the private sector to function and making it easier for more and more people to think the role of government is to take care of everything I need. I want to turn and talk about the way uh, coronavirus and the, and the spirit of American freedom. I'm going to start by telling you this. So I went to a lunch today. Um, uh, even though almost everything in Dallas is closed and, and many of the functions we're going to go to um, are closed, today there was a long-planned luncheon. Uh, it was, you know, 40 people or so, long-planned luncheon in which we had a speaker who is a gentleman who's been on the show before. He is on, he's Rush Limbaugh's, you know, best friend, uh, on-air colleague, uh, goes by the nickname of Bo Snurdly, real name James Golden. He was on this show a couple weeks ago. He spoke at this luncheon, and one point he made I want to share with you. You know, we're all getting on board on this coronavirus, and it's an emergency, and we're going to do everything we can to stop it in its tracks, and so we're doing all the things you know, we'll probably talk about in a minute if I can get to them all, but the government's doing everything they can think of to stop the spread, and this is good. But one point that Bo Snurley was making at lunch today is that we in America have become so accustomed 
to the death and violence in black communities around this country, the death by gang shooting, by gun violence, that Chicago regularly breaks records for it. Baltimore is close behind and sometimes ahead of Chicago. We have such an epidemic of gun-related deaths in this country, and they become so commonplace, we don't put emergency procedures in place. We don't say, this is a crisis that must stop. But more people are dying from gun violence in this country, for sure, than have died from coronavirus. And yet somehow, coronavirus, big epidemic, it's news, it's a big thing, we're taking all these actions, but we've almost become complacent in our country, given the number of deaths occurring in the inner cities with violence, mainly black against black violence, gang violence, gun violence, we almost turn our heads and go, well, yeah, that, that's a mess. That's a really a problem over there. I don't like it very much. But we aren't doing the things needed to actually fix that gun violence. And those things are not what the left proposes, which is gun confiscation. It has far more to do with the deeper, more important issues of fixing public education, fixing the path upward for young, young people, especially in families of low, of low income, helping people find a path in America, inviting them more into the American dream, convincing them of the goodness and rightness of America. And so I, there's just a, it was a really profound point about the idea of how we're reacting to coronavirus. But I want to talk about a couple of things about coronavirus and freedom. Everyone with a pulse in America is now aware that the coronavirus is highly contagious. Everyone understands hand washing, regular hand washing, 20 seconds, warm water, soap, grab your hand sanitizer every time you walk by it. Everyone's aware. Social distancing. Don't be shaking hands with everybody you see all day long because the, the virus can transfer. You know, three feet distance from each other, all sorts of things like that. Everyone with a pulse knows these things. But in America, what we're now seeing is not just closing of public facilities, like ordering public schools closed. I don't even have the latest list of the or cities and, and states, in fact, that have closed the public schools. But we're now meandering into the government forcing the closure of private businesses. And you had as one little example that was just kind of a, I just, and this is where I'm going to tell you, I, I want to plant seeds of concern about how we are handling the coronavirus. I'm going to say that again. I want to plant seeds of concern about how we in America are handling the coronavirus. In the city of Nashville, Tennessee, the mayor issued an order ordering the closing of bars and restaurants in order to stem the tide to stop the spread of the coronavirus. So this isn't public schools, it's not public buildings, it is private businesses, restaurants and bars. The mayor of Nashville ordered them closed and lo and behold, some businesses in Nashville, especially in an area, I guess it's a street, Broadway, uh, an area, anyway, Nashville, where the business owners said no. Said no, we're staying open, we're staying open. And we're going to op open our businesses at bars. We're going to open at restaurants. And, you know, no one's forcing people to come. If individual citizens feel, you know, I, I will say this. If you are among the group of people that are concerned 
about coronavirus, your personal, your personal vulnerability, your health history, your age, whatever reason, and you want to stay home, God bless you, stay home. But if you're among the people who are not wanting to stay home and you're not going to be, you're not concerned about your particular vulnerability and you understand all of the regulations and suggestions out there in the world and you want to say, I want to go out tonight, I want to go out to dinner. If the restaurant owner wants the place open, if he or she has employees who want to come in and customers who want to come there, we are crossing a dangerous line in this country to agree that any public figure, a mayor, a county judge, a, a governor, can order the shutdown of private businesses to stem the tide of the spread of coronavirus. We're entering into scary territory. We're entering into territory where we are conceding that the private sector is actually completely controlled by the government. That if they want to shut us down, we have to shut down. Now, again, friends, voluntary, if you own a business and you want to say, hey, you know, business, we're closing for a week, everybody go home, we urge you to stay inside, or we urge you to stay away from other people, we urge you to follow all the protocols about coronavirus, that's fine. Businesses want to do that, fine. But the government forcing the closure is a very, very different picture for private businesses. Compounding that, the next little seed of doubt I want to plant with you. How long, and who gets to say how long, can private businesses be shut down? The economy, as you can see, is crashing. We didn't, really didn't dive into the stock market today. We could other days, but we didn't dive in. The economy is crashing. And that doesn't just mean that rich people with money invested in Wall Street somehow have a few less million. It means that most of you listening who have your retirement packages, your plans invested in all sorts of businesses that trade on the New York Stock Exchange, your portfolio has been diminished. Your net worth has been diminished. Your retirement package has been diminished. So you have huge I mean, huge economic impact in this country. From the forceful ordering of businesses closing, and that's one aspect of it is, but then my other seeds I want to plant, who gets to say how long it lasts? I mean, who decides we're past the crisis? Many of you are emailing me or messaging, however you communicate with me, saying, well, there's going to be a wave that's going to go down, then another wave, we're going to be in the worst wave at all in the middle of summer or whenever the prediction is. So we're going to, in America, agree that businesses can be shut down by the government until some magical person with a really huge crystal ball can say, okay, the danger is past. Is that what we're doing? We're going to agree that these businesses just go, well, you know, uh, the government says we have to shut down, so we have no commerce, no business, no goods, no services, no jobs, no income. You can't get things at the store. I mean, how long does this last? Who decides when it's over, when we're safe, when businesses can open again, and who decides what other diseases shall now fall under this kind of government? Who decides? We have coronavirus now, this novel thing. I mean, I know coronavirus is a generic thing and has existed for a long time, but the particular strain of coronavirus leading to the disease COVID-19, that's new. 
and that's the problem and I I don't want anyone to suffer in this whole country we've got to start thinking about everyone following the protocol and social distancing and don't be hugging and don't be shaking hands and the balance with how do we keep America running at what point is the risk of some future spread of contagion not enough risk to justify shutting down businesses, shutting down the country, because right now the country is pretty much shut down. And if you have the central planners and nanny state in DC issuing edicts saying more will close down, more is coming, this is, we are headed toward a very dangerous time in this country where we have, we're surrendering our judgment, our assessment to alleged experts in Washington who don't really know what they're talking about. They have more idea than some people. I am not suggesting, as some people have, oh, this is just a big uh, hoax, there's no such thing at all, or you know, it's just a massively exaggerated problem. It's, it is a serious problem, it's contagious. And people who have vulnerability ahead of time, you know, enter this era with some vulnerability in their health, have more serious likelihood of serious injury or serious uh, disease and death. I understand that. I, every life matters. So we can be protecting the vulnerable, but at what point in protecting the vulnerable do we say we have to have some balance for America to function? This is why I kind of like the attitude of the Nashville bar and restaurant owners just saying, no, actually, we're not shutting down. I don't know how that's all going to play out, but keep in mind as we enter this coronavirus, at this pandemic of fear, this pandemic of panic, there has to be a place and a balancing and a discussion about who says, how long, who decides, and when can they do this again? Because if our economy gets destroyed, which is not, I'm not saying the left caused the virus. I am saying the left will take advantage of the virus by blaming Trump, pointing to the three years of success in our the fabulous economy, the years of success under Trump, that's going well in our economy and all and point the left will point to all of that as artificial it was fake it didn't really come it wouldn't have been it's an exaggerated some kind of way to make it seem as though the whole trump economy the boom the low unemployment numbers all that was just a distant memory was just a myth the left is taking advantage of this crisis already they will do even more so as we move forward the more we let them agree um, on the um that they can decide when private businesses close we'll talk more about this we'll do some comparisons someday coming up soon about the coronavirus versus the swine flu we'll talk about how a big problem now is the media so determined to destroy president trump so determined to make sure that he is never given credit for all the good that has happened to our country we have to be alert to this, folks. We can't just submissively, like a bunch of sheep, submit to everything, every order, without recognizing where's the balance where freedom still exists. One last thing to mention to you uh, on this topic, uh, James Carafano, one of the brilliant people at Heritage Foundation, um, had a, has a great piece out describing how President Trump's coronavirus national emergency, emergency declaration is really specifically very helpful in what it's doing to escalate our war against the coronavirus. I'm out of time to read that to you today or to go over it, but I urge you to read it on our website, americancanbetalk.org. There's a great coverage of how President Trump is acting wisely and ended up 
because of the national uh, emergency declaration on coronavirus has actually helped America step up our war on this virus. Last point I want to hit today, and I'm, I'm very much almost out of time, but I want to hit the point about President Trump issued the uh, executive order or just announced to America we're going to have a national day of prayer. It was yesterday, Sunday. And I just want to say a few words about that. In the beginning of the show today, we talked about of all the places you never see ads for the Freedom From Religion Foundation, which again is not simply a place, not simply an organization that stands up for, you know, let, let all the atheists and agnostics have uh, people to hang around with and commiserate with about how much they don't believe in God. It is a absolutely hateful, anti-Christian, anti-religious, aggressive organization that regularly sues to keep God and religion out of the public square. They are aggressive, they are, they are nasty, they're anti-Christian, they're anti-God, they're anti-religion. That group wisely chose to run their advertising during the Democrat debate last night between Bernie and Biden. By contrast, President Trump issued the National Day of Prayer. And I just want to mention a couple of things about it. You can actually read his proclamation. It's very short. It's up at our website, americacanwetalk.org. On the homepage under shows, drop down list of links, it's up there. I want to mention a couple of things about it. Number one, most children used to learn among the most just eloquent, in fact, I think President Reagan called it one of the sublime images of American history, was the famous painting of George Washington on his knees in the snow next to his horse in Valley Forge, praying, praying to God for guidance. One of the most sublime images of one of the greatest leaders our country ever had, our first leader, felt it vital and necessary to pray for guidance. President Lincoln during the Civil War had that famous quote, I am paraphrasing, you know, that it wasn't the right question to ask whose side is God on, the North or the South? The right question is, are we on God's side? Are we praying? Are we listening? Are we listening for God's guidance? FDR's famous words related to World War II, just profound language, calling the nation to prayer. President Trump's day yesterday, he dedicated the day, the National Day of Prayer, in, in protection for America, for protection, guidance, and even, I will say, for healing, for healing involving the coronavirus was not only wise and profound and patriotic, but it's a signal that this president is willing to acknowledge, as George Washington did, as Abraham Lincoln did, as Ronald Reagan did, that this country needs God. We need prayer in support of our country. Many leftists mock it, mock the idea of prayer. You regularly have leftists mocking any notion that God matters. But I love that this president signaled that prayer matters, God matters, and that in America we understand that. We understand a day of prayer is a vital, it's a gift, it's an opportunity for all Americans to participate in lifting us out of this coronavirus situation, panic. I have a few more words to say about that, but I guess we're out of time today. So I want to turn and tell you, I, as I do at the close of every show, tell you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. To start with today, we had uh, Biden, Bernie, snoozer, and it was a snoozer. Nothing new said. 
Zero, zip, nada, nothing new. Two octogenarians in an empty studio talking about concerns for the elderly. No leadership, no inspiration, no excitement. Bernie is down for the revolution, and this is probably his last chance. That's why he won't get out, despite party bosses wanting him out. Biden has one mission, preserve Bernie supporters as Democrat voters. That's why no stark contrasts or sharp disagreements. That's why Biden is moving left. He hired Beto's gun confiscation campaign manager, more on that another day, calling for the removal of millions of autos off the road in the Green New Deal. Say no to Joe Biden. Say no to Bernie Sanders. And on Congress's corona pork, Democrats forever resolved, never let a good crisis go to waste. Pelosi's coronavirus aid bill, nanny state ascendant, Planned Parenthood support, Hyde Amendment tinkering. Democrat politicians are unserious. They are cheapening American politics when they leverage a public health crisis into irrelevant areas of nanny state policy. Americans need to flip the House control to the Trump GOP in 2020. And coronavirus and American freedom. A Nashville mayor meets resistance from real America. A portent of things to come? I think so. Cratering the U.S. economy, eliminating trillions of wealth, devastating the 401ks of almost everyone, and putting millions out of work. When did Americans give their informed consent to this? Who decides when this crisis is over? Who decides when enough shutdown is enough shutdown? Main Street common sense, resilience, and ingenuity must not be ignored. Trust Americans to be wise and careful, but let them adapt freely. And finally, this day of prayer, does it matter? George Washington thought so on his knees in the snow at Valley Forge. There was Ronald Reagan, the most sublime figure in American history. Abraham Lincoln thought so, regularly quoting scripture, famously praying to be on God's side. <clears throat> Excuse me, FDR thought so, leading America in prayer on D-Day. Do we really think that we can have it both ways, that God will protect, sorry, <clears throat> do we really think that we have, it, have both ways that God will protect in a time of crisis, even as we turn away from him in our day-to-day -day life? President Ronald Reagan. And that, my friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Thank you for tuning in. Come back every Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time, to America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America, because America matters. I'll talk to you next time. America, can we talk truth about America? Can you